Did you know that women with type 1 diabetes are two and a half times more likely to develop an eating disorder? We've previously spoken about anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and orthorexia. Now, we're going to talk about diabolemia. Are you ready? Appropriate for us as a message. Um, and the only song I can really kind of think of. Welcome, friends. It's me, Carissa, host of Beauty Unlock the Podcast. How's it going? Now, I know we might be a little late in doing this because I'm recording this on the 4th. <laughs> I had to think about that. On the 4th of March, and I'll be releasing this on the next day, the 5th of March. But I wanted to wish everyone, as we wish in Greek, Kalomina, which means hope you have a blessed month, a happy month. So, Kalomina from us, me, myself, and I. <laughs> oh, and pancakes, but she's on the veranda chilling. So, as I mentioned in the beginning, we're going to be talking about an eating disorder that you might not be familiar with, or you might be, who knows, but we're gonna go into diabolemia. But before we get into it, we're going to do some much needed house cleaning, as always. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, beauty underscore unlocked underscore podcast, or you can just write beauty unlocked podcast and you'll find us and join the ever growing family. Almost, we're almost at a thousand. I always have to take like the largest breaths before, right? Because I'm always going to, I'm going to try to do this in one long breath, but it never really works, right? <laughs> Another way you can support Beauty Unlock the podcast is by leaving us a review. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It's that purple icon. And it really does help the show climb up the charts. And then others will discover it and hopefully become part of the Beauty Unlocked family. So don't forget, five-star review. It doesn't have to be a very long review, very short. Great show. Tune in. You'll love it. Content is great. I'm hoping that you enjoy the content, by the way. If not, you can always send us, of course, an email at beautyunlockedpodcast at gmail.com. Last... But certainly not least, head on over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, Beauty Unlock the Podcast. You can find us any everywhere and anywhere you look. You type it in Google search, we pop up. Seriously, we're all over the place. So don't forget to head on over to YouTube and subscribe to the channel. And you're gonna, there's gonna be a few surprises. I'll be uploading like, apart from the regular audio episodes, I'll be uploading. I, I got myself my, finally, my Panasonic Lumix. And I will be uploading on a regular basis over there. So stay tuned. Or as I would say, stay tuned for more. All right, we're done with the housework. I think I think we got it to like a minute. So that's awesome. But let's get into this very serious, very important topic. Many might not be aware, but the last week of February, so from the 22nd to the 28th, is known as National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And so I know, again, I'm a bit late in doing this. But uh, I was on YouTube, I think, and I came across this um, this video. And I was like, why have I not heard about diabolemia? So we're going to find out what diabolemia is, why diabolemia is not yet included in the DSM-5. I also want to dispel two myths regarding eating disorders, warning signs and symptoms of diabolemia, and finally, the health consequences of diabolemia. Um, I found this quote by Dr. Bulik that says, the single best way to fight stigma is with truths. And I find that this is 
um, this resonates. And I find that it's very important that we openly speak about eating disorders, even though in the last 15 years or so, people have been more open about their battles with um, eating disorders. I still find that there is the stigma and the best way is really to educate and kind of dispel myths and talk about what eating disorders are. So first off, I want to dispel like two myths, although there's there's more than two myths regarding in- eating disorders in general. Um, I found this on verywellmind.com and I'll be posting it again on the show notes so you can also look at the other myths um, included. But myth number one is you can tell by looking at someone that they have an eating disorder. The truth is that many people with eating disorders look healthy yet may be extremely ill. So people commonly believe that you can tell whether someone has an eating disorder just by looking at them. And this is because most people picture a person with an eating disorder as someone who is very emaciated. The reality is that eating disorders can present in diverse ways and among people of varying sizes. It may not be obvious that an individual is ill at all. And the second myth is eating disorders are the province of white upper middle class teenage girls. And the truth is that eating disorders affect uh, people of all genders, ages, races, ethnicities, body shapes and weights, sexual orientations and socioeconomic statuses. Uh, So eating disorders are commonly believed to be an affliction of affluent white females. This is far from the truth. Eating disorders affect all genders, families from different ethnic backgrounds and people from varied economic circumstances. So this dangerous myth keeps many who do not meet the stereotype from recognizing that they have an eating disorder and and, um, therefore accessing help. So as I previously mentioned, I'll be adding this this article about the myths regarding eating disorders up. I'll also post it on the Facebook page. So let's get into what diabulimia is. As you might have heard in the intro, I said like did you know that women with type 1 diabetes are two and a half times more likely to develop an eating disorder so while diabulimia is not yet included in the dsm-5 the term is quite often used to describe someone who is living with a comorbid diagnosis of type 1 diabetes and an eating disorder so you might be asking yourself right now what is dsm so dsm is the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders dsm it's the handbook used by healthcare professionals in the united states and much of the world as the authoritative guide to the diagnosis of mental disorders dsm contains descriptions symptoms and other criteria for diagnosing mental disorders It provides a common language for clinicians to communicate about their patients and establishes consistent and reliable diagnosis that can be used in the research of mental disorders. It also provides a common language for researchers to study the criteria for potential future revisions and to aid in the development of medications and other interventions. So DSM-5, this is the fifth revision so far. So Diagnostic, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder, fifth revision. So delving deeper into diabulimia. So diabulimia, also known as EDDMT1 or eating disorder diabetes mellitus type 1, is defined as the withholding of insulin to manipulate one's weight or shape. In the DSM-5, there is not a separate diagnostic code for diabulimia, though depending on the eating disorder behavior and manipulation of insulin, 
Diabulimia can present with features of both anorexia and bulimia. It can be classified in the DSM-5 under Other Specified Eating Disorder, or the acronym would be OSFED. So with the intense focus on food, labels, numbers such as weight, blood glucose, A1C, and control, plus the many disruptions that occur in a person's metabolic system, we know that diabetes is a high-risk factor for developing an eating disorder. So a person may develop diabulimia, or ED, DMT1, at any age and at any point after their diabetes diagnosis. Sometimes it begins with body image issues or a desire to lose weight, and sometimes it begins as diabetes burnout. Regardless of how it begins, treatment can be challenging as individuals with type 1 diabetes tend to show higher dropout rates and poorer treatment outcomes than other patients. Treatment regimens must address both the diabetes and eating disorder aspect of the disorder. Diabulimia does not have a separate diagnostic code, so a person's specific diagnosis will depend on their eating disorder behaviors. In the manual, DSM-5 classifies insulin omission as a purging behavior. Therefore, it may be coded as bulimia nervosa if the person is binging, then restricting insulin. It may be diagnosed as purging disorder if the person is eating normally and restricting insulin, or anorexia nervosa if the person is severely restricting both food and insulin. So there are um, some warning signs and symptoms of diabulimia, and I'm dividing them between the emotional and behavioral and the physical. So I'm not going to read them all out, but as I mentioned before, I will be putting the websites up so you can have a look at them. So for the emotional and behavioral, a few are increasing neglect of diabetes management, secrecy about diabetes management, avoiding diabetes-related appointments, fear of low blood sugars, fear that insulin uh, makes me fat, uh, extreme increase or decrease in diet, anxiety about body image, restricting certain food or food groups to lower insulin dosages, uh, somebody who suffers from diabulimia avoids eating with family or in public, um, discomfort in testing or injecting in front of others, overly strict food rules, preoccupation with food, weight and or calories, excessive and or rigid exercise, increase in sleep pattern, there is a withdrawal from friends and other family-related activities, uh, depression and or anxiety, and infrequently filled prescriptions. So some of the physical um, are unexplained weight loss, constant bouts of nausea and or vomiting, persistent thirst and frequent urination, low sodium and pota or potassium, uh, frequent bladder and or yeast infections, irregular or lack of menstruation, deteriorating or blurry vision, fatigue or lethargy, dry hair and skin. The human body is surprisingly resilient and people that suffer from diabulimia often manage to function with much higher blood sugars than should be possible. So the major consequences of diabulimia are usually related to prolonged elevated blood sugar. These complications can be severe and irreversible, so proper treatment and early detection are critical. Patients with weight-related insulin restrictions were 3.2 times more likely to die over an 11-year study period, 
and to die an average of 13 years younger than those who didn't restrict insulin. It's incredibly important to understand the many uh, ways that eating disorders affect a person with diabetes. So the short-term consequences, um, one of them is slow wound healing. So high blood sugar causes poor circulation and decreases the function of red and white blood cells and damages small blood vessels, all of which delay wound healing and can sometimes progress into an ulcer in a person with diabetes. Staph and other bacterial infections. So high blood sugar causes the body to produce certain enzymes and hormones that negatively affect the immune system and reduce the body's defense against infection. This risk of infection plus uh, slowed healing heighten a person's chance of developing gangrene, sepsis, or a bone infection. Another short-term consequence is yeast infections. So excess sugar allows the overgrowth of yeast, often in the vaginal area. Muscle atrophy. Without insulin, the body cannot utilize food and cells Uh, And cells begin to starve, so the body begins to break down muscles for fuel. Menstrual disruption. Without sufficient nutrition, a woman's estrogen levels uh, fall, which can keep menstruation from starting or cause it to become irregular or stop completely. Also, when a woman's body senses starvation, it will cease reproduction to conserve energy. Another short-term consequence is severe dehydration. So insulin deficiency puts the body into a state of starvation, causing it to break down tissues uh, to create ketones to use as fuel. In an attempt to expel the ketones in the urine, uh, the body ends up dispelling too much fluid. There's also an electrolyte imbalance. So as the kidneys extract sugar and ketones to expel with urine, they also extract sodium and potassium, which can lead to an extreme electrolyte uh, balance especially when combined with vomiting, which often occurs with high ketone levels. Diabetic ketoacidosis. So people with type 1 diabetes would develop dangerous levels of ketones faster than others because the body needs insulin to transport ketones from the bloodstream into cells. Without insulin, the ketones build up in the bloodstream faster than the kidneys can remove them, causing the blood to become acidic. Not only does the acidic blood damage blood vessels, nerves, and organs, but even a minor alteration in a person's blood pH can cause organ systems to shut down, resulting in coma and sometimes death. We just took a look at the short-term consequences of diabulimia, and I will look at the long-term consequences. So high blood glucose causes blood to become like sandpaper, scraping and damaging blood vessel walls. In addition, Blood that is acidic from ketones can cause vessel damage. The consequences of these damages are often seen in the eyes where tiny vessels begin to leak into the eyeball. So one of the long-term consequences is retinopathy. Uh, The small black spots or floaters, as they're more commonly called, I guess, is disrupting a person's vision. The bleeding may be stopped with treatment, but persistent or recurrent retinopathy can eventually lead to blindness. Macular edema, swelling of the eyeball from excess fluid. If untreated, it can eventually cause permanent damage to the eye. Nerve fibers are particularly vulnerable to prolonged periods of high blood sugar. Many factors can damage the small nerves in the body, including uh, reduction in oxygen supply, thick, sticky blood that has difficulty getting to the small capillaries that feed the nerves, and inflammation of the nerves. Peripheral neuropathy. 
stabbing, burning, tingling, pain, weakness or numbness in the hands, feet, legs, and or arms. Gastroparesis, slowed stomach, emptying from damaged nerves, preventing proper digesting, oh, digestion, sorry, and causing stomach pain, nausea, and vomiting. Some other long-term consequences um, are chronic diarrhea or constipation. So when nerves that control the intestines and colon are damaged, a person may experience abnormal fluid absorption or slowed motility. Uh, so there's other organ damage such as kidney disease. So high blood sugars make the kidneys work excessively hard, causing damage to the kidneys filtering system. Kidneys begin leaking protein into urine and uh, lose their ability to remove waste products and excess fluid, allowing waste and fluid to build up in the body. It can eventually lead to kidney failure, requiring frequent dialysis or kidney transplant. Liver disease. Although the specific mechanism is not well understood, we know that insulin deficiency results in non-alcoholic fatty liver. Too much fat accumulated in the liver coupled with inflammation. In severe co uh, cases, it can progress to cirrhosis and liver failure. Heart disease, hardening, hardening and narrowing of the arteries from high cholesterol. So many of the above consequences can become fatal, sometimes over time, such as kidneys or heart disease, and sometimes very quickly, such as diabetic uh, ketoacidosis. Um, another long-term consequence can lead to consequences can lead like to coma, to having a stroke, stroke, and eventually can lead to death. So without insulin, the body cannot utilize anything eaten, putting the body into a state of malnutrition or starvation. As a result, in addition to the above complications, a person with diabulimia can also incur the same consequences as someone who suffers from anorexia nervosa. And if a person engages in other forms of purging beyond insulin restriction, they can develop consequences associated with bulimia nervosa. So I know this episode was more technical and kind of fact delivering but i wanted to shed a light on diabulimia an eating disorder that i wasn't familiar with until last week if you or your loved one suffers from an eating disorder like please know that you're not alone and please reach out there are trained professionals who are willing and able to help so please know that you're not alone as i previously mentioned i will be putting uh, all the articles that I used um, into the show notes and also I'll be posting them on the Facebook page and one of the main one of the main like sources that I go to for uh, eating disorder awareness is Neda, and um, they have a helpline so please reach out if you or a loved one do suffer from an eating disorder. But if you would like to further educate yourselves as well, then they have plenty of blogs and vlogs. And yeah, so it's really well uh, worth like checking out. And as mentioned, there is a stigma when speaking about eating disorders and there are many misconceptions surrounding them. Not to mention that there are many BIPOC, um, black people and marginalized communities that suffer from eating disorders. So the only way to end the stigma is by educating ourselves and stop assuming that we know what or who suffers from an eating disorder because eating disorders affect many people regardless of their age, their gender, their nationality, and pe and just people of varied economic circumstances. It doesn't mean that you're just because you're rich and white, you suffer from an eating disorder. It's not like that whatsoever. So let's just educate and spread awareness on eating disorders. 
with all that being said, um, I hope I can say I hope you enjoyed this episode, but I, I do hope that this episode was informative and I hope you all have a lovely weekend and remember to love each other, love yourselves, spread some of that sweet, sweet love. You'll hear from me again next week. Bye. Wow.